Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. Well, Revelation chapter 4 ends with one reason God is worthy. You're worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will, they were created and have their being. That's how Revelation 4 ends. But to be honest, you could look at that and simply say, but creation is messed up. Creation is broken. Creation is sabotaged. Creation is dysfunctional. And you know what? You would be exactly right. And so in one sense, yes, we praise God because he is creator. And yet, if we are honest with ourselves and honestly look at our world, we're suddenly faced with this fact of, but it's broken. It's messed up. And so somehow does that disconnect from actually the level to which the creator is worthy because what he has created has been messed up. Not by him, but we as his human beings, as his image bears, those to whom he has entrusted his creation, we've messed it up. That's why Jesus being creator is not the only reason he is worthy. Revelation chapter 5 gives you the other reason that God is worthy, that Jesus is worthy. Yes, he's creator, but he's also redeemer. Often when I send out e-news, or, yeah, e-news on Fridays saying, hey, here's what we're going to talk about this Sunday. I often maybe finish with we're going to sing praises to our creator and redeemer God. I often bring those two things together because those are the two epic works of God that we see throughout Scripture. Uh, There's a thousand million gods in the world that various religions claim, but there is no other God who is number one creator and number two redeemer. And so when we gather together, we praise God first because he's creator. That's Revelation chapter 4. But secondly, we praise God because he's redeemer. That's Revelation chapter 5. Those two things always come together. He's creator. That's one work that he does. He does that in Genesis chapter 1. The whole rest of scripture is the story of Jesus being redeemer. Won't go through all the verses in Revelation chapter 5. We went over them in December. Uh, John and Jeremy did a fantastic job leading us through that. But in Revelation chapter 5, verses, yeah, I'll just read verses 9 and 10 and a few other verses. It says, You are worthy to take the scroll. Remember, the scroll was uh, the document that would be the unfolding of the history, the unfolding of God's continuing plan for planet Earth. That's the contents of the scroll. How God's purposes would be brought to fruition for his created order, for his people. You're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. 
because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nations. You have made them to be kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Jeremy touched on that aspect of being priests a couple of weeks ago. Probably touch on that some next week. Then in verse 11, it says this, And I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne, and the living creatures and elders in a loud voice were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Notice earlier on, it says they sang what kind of song? They sang a new song. Revelation chapter 4 is the original song of creation. Revelation chapter 5, now they sing a new song, a new reason that God is worthy. What's the new song about? Not only his creator, now he's also redeemer. So it's a new song. Because God's work continues. The first song is, worthy are you, you are creator. The new song is, worthy are you, you are redeemer. Revelation 5, 11 and 12. Worthy is the lamb to receive, by the way, Remember when we looked at the first song, how many, tri- how many things were there? There were three, right? There were three. Remember that? Revelation chapter 4, uh, when, they, when it said they were, um, you were ready to receive glory, honor, and power. Remember that was Revelation chapter 4, verses, verse 11. Uh, why don't you count with me in the new song of creation, the new song of redemption, how many times or how many things, how many reasons Jesus is worthy? Count with me. Here we go. Worthy is a lamb to receive power, one. Wealth, two. Wisdom, three. Strength, four. Honor, five. Glory, six. And praise, how many does it make? Seven. There's a song in Revelation four that has three reasons God is worthy. He's worthy because he's creator. Remember, three in one sense is is a number of kind of original completeness. Uh, the, origin, the, the, the full components, the full ingredients. But seven is sort of the worthiness of, or the completeness of fruition. The, wor- the completeness of kind of the destiny, the fulfillment of all things, uh, the completion of all things, the fulfillment of all things. So in Revelation 5, there's actually seven things. Actually, there's another list where there's four. So in Revelation 5, you have a list of both four and seven. But it's pretty amazing that in Revelation 5, now there's a song. And it's about seven things God is worthy of. Verse 13. Then I heard, listen to this, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them. Now, let me just ask a question. Can you think of any other place that this doesn't include? Then I heard every creature. Or what are the possible places you can imagine every creature being? John says, in heaven and on earth. And by the way, just in case I missed any, 
and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them, saying. So, Revelation 5, every creature you can possibly imagine. See, God's creation is not done away with. God's creation actually is completed in the fulfillment of all things. God doesn't wipe out his old creation. Instead, every last little piece of his creation, from the highest heavens to earth, from under the earth to the sea, every last piece, every little single syllable of God's creation now praises him in Revelation chapter 5. So it's worthy of praise Number one, he created, but then secondly, yes, creation got messed up, but the whole story of scriptures, God is going to reclaim, restore, renew, recreate every last little syllable of his creation. Whether that's above the earth and the heavens, whether it's on the earth, whether it's underneath the earth, whether it's in the sea, all of it, all of it, all of it. Gets restored, recreated, renewed. And John says, man, he's worthy because he's creator. He's worthy because he's redeemer. He's worthy because he's redeemer. Verses 13 and 14. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power. Notice there's four there. Possibly mirroring, mirroring the four creatures. Remember, said the four creatures picture all of God's creation, sort of north, south, east, and west. Uh, he went from seven. He actually go, starts with seven, then he goes to four. Uh, seven, kind of like complete fullness of development. Probably goes back to four to sort of picture almost the four living creatures. That every aspect, every direction you can possibly imagine. Again, north, south, east, and west. To him who sits on the throne and to the land, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Why is the lamb worthy? Well, he's the lamb that's seen as slain. It's the lamb that, lamb that gave his blood for the sins of the world. It was a lamb that was crucified in order to reclaim God's creation. In a minute, we're going to celebrate communion. What a great time to do that on the first day of the new year. And as we celebrate communion, we're going to declare... That Jesus is worthy, not only because he's creator, but also because he's redeemer. He's worthy of our praise, our honor, our glory. He's worth all of that. He's deserving of all of it because he's creator, because he's redeemer. I'm going to remind you of the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. As he's speaking to the people in Corinth about the regular routine of celebrating the Lord's Supper. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. You know, we began the Christmas season on December the 4th by celebrating communion. And we're going to close on January 1st by celebrating communion once again. And I said on December 4th, it was kind of a, something I've been recently thinking about that read a couple of places. The fact that, and I'm still kind of like thinking and processing this. Like, why didn't Jesus use grapes untouched by human hands? And why didn't he use simply kernels of wheat untouched by human hands? Like, that would be the, that would be the closest you could get to the purity of God's created order. Like, if, I think if I were Jesus, like, I probably would have used grapes and kernels of wheat because they're untouched, they're disconnected from the, the dirtiness of human hands. Uh, you only have bread by wheat being picked. It, it's, in ancient dates, it was ground between two millstones. Was, the flour was put together with water and possibly some yeast and, and baked over a fire. All of that was the result of human hands touching and engaging and getting involved with God's original creation of wheat. The way you got wine or grape juice was grapes had to be picked. They would often be put on a, in a trough and literally stamped with people's bare feet, and the juice would be collected in a small batch. And so not only the bread, but also the juice was, again, the result of, of, of human hands, of, of human work. And I, I wonder if we talked a little bit about part of the reason why God used that uh, on December 4th, on, why Jesus used that on December 4th. Possibly another aspect of what Jesus is doing is saying this. Yes, I put human beings in the Garden of Eden. And it was, yeah, it was, there were grapes. There was wheat. It's part of my creation. But, but God is actually blessed. He actually delights in human ingenuity. He, he, did not, he delights in, in human work. He delights in human activity. It's actually why the story begins in a garden and ends in a city. Now, I'm not particularly a city person. I'd personally rather be in a garden. But the reason that Revelation ends in a city is because cities sort of picture the full development of, of human interaction. In, in cities, you get the best of the food. You get the best of the recipes. In cities, you get the best of the arts. In cities, you get the best sports teams. Cities sort of incorporate and encapsulate sort of the ultimate development of of human work, of human initiative, of, of human design, of what humans have figured out, of technology. You get all of that in cities. And so the reason that begins in the garden and ends with the city is it's not we're simply put back into a garden which is raw materials. We actually begin in the new creation, sort of on the platform of, of how human beings have already developed the creation of God. Even though it's imperfect, human beings have already developed Things like bread and wine and grape juice. And so Jesus, even in using a loaf of bread and a glass of wine, is saying, I'm blessed. 
He's excited. He's delighted with the, the uh, ingenuity of human beings. He's delighted with anything that you do that contributes to the beauty and wonder of his creation. So he uses both bread that's been the result of the work of human hands that he created to bring the best out of creation. And even though that's been tainted and messed up, he still uses bread because he delights in the fact that human beings have used their created ability to, to bring more fruitfulness out of the raw materials of creation. God's blessed by human ingenuity. He's blessed by discovery. He's excited when somebody puts together a new recipe with the raw materials of what he's created and says, wow, like, here's a really cool taste. Here's a really cool way these things go together. God gets excited when we kind of take further steps of technological advancement that bless and cause human beings to flourish. It's like, wow, like they finally figured it out. Like, can you imagine God's, like, delight when he says, like, wow, guess what? They're figuring out that they could actually ride horses down there. Like, they, they figured out how to take the raw materials that I put there, and now they even made cars and rocket ships. It's amazing. God put all that stuff, in, kind of like waiting, like, wow, like, they're going to figure this out. God's delighted with that. And so communion is a time where we also rem we remember the death of Christ, but we also experience a sense of God's delight in the human beings that he's created. Twice in his verses, Paul says we do this in remembrance of him. When we talk about remembrance, it's not simply cognitive mental recollection. Instead, we actually re-experience we re-experience the original truth. One writer says this, we think of remembering as a cognitive discipline. We slow down and bring to mind past events so that we do not forget them. That is certainly true and valuable. But the ancient Jewish understanding of remembrance went much deeper. In the Israelite culture, remembrance was more than mental recollection of past events. Rather, it was the recalling of an event so that all of the power of that event could be experienced in the present. And so when we take communion and do that in remembrance of Jesus, it's not as though we simply say, oh yeah, let's, I remember mentally that Jesus died. When the Bible speaks of remembrance, it's actually asking us to put ourselves back in the position of the ancient and the original events to actually experience freshly again the work or the event that was being remembered. When God told the people of Israel, remember the Passover, he wasn't simply saying, read about it in your history books and don't forget about it. He was, he was saying, remember, experience again my faithfulness, my grace, my love, my mercy, my compassion. I'm going to ask the team to come up and uh, Sam's going to play for us uh, as you take the elements back to your seats in a moment. But as we do this, as we take communion this morning, don't let the remembrance simply be mental cognition. 
Don't let it be simply a memory of a historical event that happened. Instead, on this New Year's Day of 2023, let your remembrance be be living within the reality that Jesus died for you. Experience his love. Don't simply remember that it happened once upon a time. Freshly experience his grace. Let it wash over you. Let it absorb you. Freshly experience his mercy, his kindness, his love. Freshly experience that. Don't just mentally recollect it. Live inside of it. So live inside the truth that Jesus gave his life for you. Live inside the truth that his faithfulness, his mercy, and his grace are toward you. Live inside of that. I'm going to invite you in a second to take a wafer and a cup of juice back to your seats, whether you come up here the Seek the stations in the aisles, the ones in the balcony. If you have children, I'm going to leave that up to you. Uh, if you've already coached them, here's what communion means. And if you know they already have a relationship with Jesus, uh, you can walk them through that. If not, maybe you just want them to walk with you as you take the elements back to your seat. Maybe tell them, we'll explain it more a little bit later on. But it's important that we do this as followers of Jesus who have embraced his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection for us. This symbolizes the new creation that's coming. So you can uh, take a wafer, take a cup of juice, take it back to your seats, and then we'll celebrate together. Um, Why don't you just stand where... can all go at once and might be a little bit crazy and chaotic. That's okay. Uh, take the wafer cup of juice. If you're, this is new to you, if you'd rather not participate, just feel free to remain seated during this part of our service. It's totally fine. Uh, just remain seated, reflect, pray. We're glad that you're here. And feel free not to participate. One other aspect of the communion elements is this. Bread 
was the absolute most basic thing that sustained human life in ancient days. So bread was sort of the foundation of everything. It was not special. It was very daily, multiple times a day. Bread was everydayness. But wine was, re- was reserved for celebration, was reserved for great times of banqueting. And so in taking communion, we remind ourselves that Jesus is our daily life. He's our daily sustenance. We lean on him for daily life. But in taking the wine, we also look forward to a time of lavishness, of flourishing, of grand celebration, of bounty and abundance and a lavish banquet. And so with the bread, it's, it's daily. Our walk is every day. Your walk is every day. Every day you need to draw life from Jesus. But it's no mistake when the apostle Paul says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you do it, drink it in remembrance of me. And Jesus also adds, until the time that I come again. And so we also drink wine or grape juice. It's a picture of abundance. We don't only look back, we look forward as well to the completion of God's grand new redemption and his brand new creation. So take the wafer. Let me repeat the words of Paul. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's look forward as we drink the cup. We're going to conclude our time together by singing two songs. One is Joy to the World. We sang this a number of times during the Christmas season. We're going to conclude the Christmas season by singing it again. As I often say, it pictures not Jesus' first coming, but actually more largely his second coming. When he brings about the newness of his creation. He's worthy because he's creator, but he's also redeemer. Then we're going to sing the doxology as well. So let's stand and sing these last two songs as we close out our time.
and joy, joy to the earth, the Savior is that man the song to pour, while fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy. Stop it, 
sing together. Sing one more time. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Sing praises, church. Sing to all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. So praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. God, we we affirm, we declare that you are worthy, you are deserving of praise because you are creator and you are redeemer. We sing the song of the original creation and we praise you for what you have created. We also sing the new song of Revelation 5-9 that says you are worthy because you are redeemer. Thank you that we can begin 2023 declaring that you are worthy, that your praise belongs to you. And throughout this year, may our actions, may our lives, may our souls, may our spirits be lived for your praise and honor and glory because you are worthy as creator and redeemer. And everyone who agreed said, amen, amen. Amen. Well, happy new year once again, everyone. Uh, Our prayer team is down here to the right. Have a great new year's day and God bless.